When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, exactly. And it often, it often solves the problem at a higher order. That's, mm-hmm. that's actually the better point. It's not that you're going to cure cancer with the butterflies. It's that the jellyfish will cure aging in, yeah. in a way that just like makes that previous order of applied science completely unimportant. What's good? Hey, you didn't bring any topics. I actually did. It turns out. Well, I did too. Do you want to go first? Sure. So as someone who likes psychology and psychological studies, turns out the Stanford prison experiment was fake. Ah. I don't know if people know what that is, but it's a pretty famous uh, sociology experiment or psych experiment where people were given the role of warden and prisoner and then left their own devices and the wardens turned on the prisoners and treated them badly. And it's been used for decades to show the inherent corruption of power in human hands. But it turns out it was totally faked. Well, again, turns out is we you, neither you nor I were there, and I think epistemology is important. What we read is that uh, several of the guards said that, no, I think it was Milgram who did it. He told us to mm-hmm. be shitty to they them. They got one of the prisoners, too, and he said, oh, I, was, I thought I was supposed to react dramatically. So yeah. when he was like, I can't take this anymore, they got mm-hmm. that guy. And he's like, oh, yeah, I just thought that was, I was like just trying to make the mm-hmm. experimenters happy. And this, we've talked about this particular one in the past, but this is the problem with... I mean, science, but social science is particularly troubled by this, which is, let's say that the experiment runs and you find out it doesn't matter. Well, guess what? That does nothing for your career. There's Mm -hmm. no story there. This is the same thing that happened with Amy Cuddy and Power Poses, Mm -hmm. which is what she published and got a TED Talk and a book and uh, God knows how much speaking money from, was saying that when you sit in a powerful position, you do the Superman, lean back, hands up, kick your feet up, that your testosterone rises. Uh, in addition to having feelings of being more assertive and in control. Now, if you do this in your life, what you'll find is that certainly your physiology influences your thoughts, and it's a good strategy, but what has been not able to have been replicated, and she acknowledges this now, or at least did in a New York Times article several years ago, is that, yeah, the testosterone thing was off, and that's exactly what got her the TED Talk the speaking yeah, tour. You just said, I, if you stand in a power pose, you'll feel more confident. We don't know the mechanism. It's mm-hmm. just less sexy than saying we have a statistically significant increase in testosterone if you stand like this for 60 seconds. Yes. So, and I, and that particular one, which is a staple of academia, and we've mentioned this, that there's a crisis of reproduction in so many of these social sciences where the one that you got called out, I think we mentioned it, but just for, at, for the segment is we were giving a speech to a class at Yale about social mm-hmm. psychology. And as a point, you said, one of the things that happens is we misattribute arousal. And they've done a study where if you're standing on a bridge and somebody asks you a survey, uh, you will rate that person who is 
asking the survey is more attractive because the fear of heights then gets misattributed to arousal for that person. And she pulled us aside either at the end or in the middle. It was like that. That one's been uh, yeah, it's not true. <laughs> brought it called into serious question. As far as I remember, Charlie was the one that said it, <laughs> and I was like, mm, "Let's ask the Yale professor." And she's like, "No, it's not true, Charlie." But but uh, yeah, it's just the incentives. It's it's incredible. If you want to understand the world. Studies are nice, but incentive structures are, mm -hmm. will always tell you yep. will always tell you the the truth. No, and this is one of the things some people have said for Charisma on Command when we do videos. Well, do you have any studies to back that up? This is what I have is my experience, the experience of people I've coached, the experience of watching other people, and that seems to me to be far more valuable than if I rely on a study. Because if I make a video and I cite the Milgram experiment. Mm -hmm. It could just be wrong. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to rely on that outside of my own personal experience. Mm -hmm. But if I rely on my own personal experience and, and at least I see in other people <laughs> and the experience I see in a breakdown and the people I see when coaching, yes, it's 50 anecdotes, mm -hmm. but at least if someone comes at me and says, are you sure this is true? I go to the best of my knowledge. It's true. And if I cite a study mm -hmm. and I say, are you sure this is true? I go only in the sense that I read it in the New York Times once. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting. Also, Leroy Jenkins is fake. Really? Yep. You know that one? World of Warcraft? No. Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, guys. I'm here to ruin Santa Claus. No way. Milgram Experiment, fake. Leroy Jenkins. How do you know? Fake. How because you know? they came out and said it. The people that made it. What it's if they lied? This is, again, this is the thing. <laughs> they could have lied. <laughs> like They could have lied. I'll, re I'll re rephrase. The people that did the Leroy Jenkins video said it was fake. Did you see them say it or did you read that they I said it? I read that they said we it. We don't know. All of this is, again, this is, this is the point is this is the fundamental question of when people talk about being an informed citizen yep. and you have to do the news, it's like, well, Trump said this. It's like, did he or did you read that he said that? Yep. And and to the degree that you trust your news source, I suppose, but do you trust that they gave you the context? Even do you, if you trust watched that a clip, they, did you see the 60 seconds before and after? Yes. Or are you just seeing a clip? Like, yeah, it's very, it's very, very hard to uh, to make claims about the world beyond your own eyes. Senses, and yeah, and I've and I think unfortunately you live in a world that seems to affect you outside of what your immediate senses <laughs> mm -hmm. tell you, and you are expected and encouraged, uh, you know, when you your senses read a tweet or you watch a thing to vote and influence a world that you have essentially never directly experienced, Yep. which is, I, I just, it's not that you shouldn't do that. I just want us to recognize how tenuous so much of the, the edifices upon which we build our whole world understanding. It's like, listen, I take this one card out. There's been someone at your news station of choice that has just been full of it for a long time. The whole thing crumbles. Yeah. Um, so no. And I think the, uh, I guess the only thing that I always come back to is someone that doesn't believe this isn't an idiot. Because like I've seen footage of certain things and had a certain opinion. And then I'm sure if someone just got their news a different way, they'd think that the opposite opinion, not, we're not smarter or dumber than the other one. We're just mm -hmm. consuming different media. So that's Leroy, the number one thing. I, that's heartbreaking, man. Yeah, Leroy Jenkins. I'm sad. We're zooming in on me right now. Hello. <laughs> we got it good. Cool. You got uh, you got anything else? Because I have one completely unrelated. Yeah, I got. That. I mean, a lot of unrelated ones. Mine. This is. A, I actually like this so much from you that I, it's just a text from you that I got. Um, we were talking about stoicism, mm -hmm. and you sent me a text, and I said, "Yeah, I'm gonna talk about that on the podcast because it's really interesting." In regards to stoicism, you said it's impressive to see people behaving well throughout history, but I feel like stoicism is very based on the habit training as opposed to genuine transformation. Mm -hmm. And I was curious what that meant, what that division means, how one gets genuine transformation if it's not from habit training. 
So I just was like, this is a great thing. I'm not even going to text you back uh, asking it. I'm just going to ask on the podcast. So got it. Here we are. Yeah. So we were talking about the Stoics and, uh, for instance, Marcus Aurelius, who behaved a what a nice guy for the emperor in, in mm-hmm. terms of like didn't, as far as we know, even like really cheat on his wife, which was completely within his power, uh, as well as a whole other ton of things that he could have done to make other people's lives worse and his life marginally better. Mm-hmm. He just didn't take those opportunities. Uh, but when I read the Stoics, it's very behavior focused. Mm-hmm. It takes for granted that you're going to want to be self-centered, ignore other people, all these other kinds of things. And what Mm -hmm. you have to do is train and you can do exercises beforehand as well as in the moment to curb your instinctive or emotional reaction in order to do harm unto others or even harm unto yourself in the future Mm -hmm. by by getting focused on your desires and all that kind of stuff. Uh, There's a thread in the East that and, and which I hope is true, but I'm exploring is true, which is genuine transformation. And I've mentioned this before. My left hand does not need any incentive, rule book, or anything to uh, not snatch the food out of my right hand as I go to put it in my mouth mm-hmm. because there is, an hi- there is a higher order system that works together and I am identified at the level of a person so I don't have to not eat my own leg when I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, can, uh, I require no morality to not do harm unto myself. Mm-hmm. Now, I just want to pause here and say people that do self-harm oftentimes have a psychic split in which they see as the them that is the thinker and the bad body that is evil, that is uh, has gay urges or or didn't listen to that particular person. And so it needs to be hurt. But there's the identification is what allows you to have moral behavior without moral imperatives. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the Stoic trained the behavior and then they what they wind up doing and what I wind up doing is aping what it would be to be a person that genuinely cared <laughs> like, oh, like you're my left arm, you're my right arm. I feel that connection. And yep. so genuine transformation occurs according to the Eastern philosophy when you recognize that you and me are connected and are one and I don't need a rule book or a training to not hurt you. I just genuinely don't want to, nor do I need accolades or a pat on the back. Mm-hmm. It's like, of course, like it wouldn't, it wouldn't have even benefited me to yeah. hurt Ben. So how could I? Can't habit training sometimes enable genuine transformation? I th- perhaps. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, I think that that's, I think that you can fake it till you make it to a degree. I think that you should probably start by faking it till you make it. So when you're three years old and a parent's like, look, we're going to, we're not, we're going to do this the Eastern way. And I'm going to wait until you feel like calming down and not having a tantrum at school. And only when you recognize that you're disrupting the other students and their education is part of your best interest, will you stop screaming? It's like, no, I'm going to punish you and segregate and split you off and record and say, no, you need to see them as separate, but also behave in accordance with the way that does it. And we Mm -hmm. instill morality into kids and that's totally appropriate. So there's a lot of faking it till you make it in life. And then I think at some point when the metaphorical classroom is calmed down, you okay, that was all bullshit. (laughs) You know, all this morality is just a control mechanism to get us to a point where everybody can take a deep breath and has been well fed. And now we can start to contemplate the deeper truths of the universe. Yeah. Well, and you're talking especially a lot of um, interpersonal harm Mm -hmm. is, but for instance, the idea, and I could be misunderstanding the stoic philosophy of living in poverty sometimes to remind yourself that you Mm -hmm. don't need to get attached to your riches. Sure. I imagine if you had that habit and you did it, every week or every month for an extended period of time, 
that eventually you would keep doing it, but you would have genuinely released your need for physical goods mm -hmm. or for fancy things. Do you, you know what I mean? That you would have a transformation via practice, mm. if that makes sense. Sure. And I think, you know, um, cold turkey on an addiction is a similar thing where you're like, I'm just going to do a new habit to try to change the way that I internally relate to cigarettes or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, and I, and I think that that can happen. It seems, it seems like people can genuinely reduce or eliminate the craving for cigarettes by controlling their behavior mm. for a long enough period of time. I do think that there are other things in life where you like morality, where it seems to me I've spent most of my life, um, remaining internally selfish and controlling my mm -hmm. behavior where that has been ineffective for me. And sure. I want to try a different path, not ineffective, Still giving a lot of money to charity, still not robbing anybody, still not hurting people. Doesn't still make you feel as good as it would if you realized that you were hands. Uh, yes, and yeah, and and it's it's a chore. It's mm -hmm. it's it's it weighs on you. It, like having all these rules is. Uh, Got it. Okay. I now I can get behind that. I think genuine transformation is obviously superior mm -hmm. <laughs> to faking it till you make it or having the habit uh, be a chore. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the same time, I think I would encourage people to embrace habit training for anything that they wanted mm -hmm. to change because it seems like it can be a very effective means to genuine transformation and to I your point you're yeah. like i've been doing the habit for years and i'm not experiencing the transformation it's mm -hmm. like yeah then it's not gonna happen for you in this regard mm -hmm. um, but i think there's other things where i actually think habit training is maybe the highest form of transformation like in the realm of confidence or something like that where think sitting in a room recognizing that rejection can't hurt you unless you have an eckhart tolle random lightning striking moment is less effective than just going out and talking to people or going out and doing job interviews or just getting a hundred repetitions and being like, okay, I'm survived. I've survived a hundred rejections. Yeah. I'm far less afraid of people or rejection or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. Yes. So maybe, and maybe charitable giving is the opposite. So maybe it depends on what you're trying to transform. I think it's, I think they're all there. I think it does depend, but I think charitable giving has a similar thing where it's, it's easier for me to give large sums of money than it was the first time that I gave a large mm -hmm. sum of money. I have conditioned a, th uh, a th behavior, but also what you experience when you experience confidence is not what you might call, and I'm not denigrating social confidence, but authentic confidence of like truly nothing can harm me. Mm -hmm. Like uh, your opinion cannot harm me. What you have when you are confident is that Oh, I can survive it. Uh, it's likely to go well, you know, all of those uh, sorts of things. So it's almost like the spiritual truth, you know, if you're starting at zero and spiritual truth is, is over here at 100, what the habit stuff does is it allows you to, to take, mm -hmm. move degrees closer to it. But sometimes there's an impassable gulf that cannot be done just by force of habit. So I'm for habit training. Uh, I don't, I think it's a good idea. And I also think it's important in my life to recognize where habit training isn't working and be like, more habit training is not the answer to go to the next level. So what's the path to genuine transformation if it's not habit training? Uh, awareness, I think. Uh, if, if it is true that everything is one, if it is true that it is better to give than to receive, uh, if it is true all of these things and what you instead focus on is awareness of the process of desire rising to spend your money on a car and, and how that makes you feel and you do that for long enough, you'd be like, hmm, Spending that money on the car didn't feel nearly as good as it did to give to that other person who was in need. Mm. Um, and through careful awareness and also I think allowing yourself, it's almost like if you look at the coast of California on a map, it looks like this. But as you zoom in and you walk it, it goes in and up. Sure. There will be backtracks where you become, I think, and this is something I've thought about with regards to meat, and I don't know that I will, but 
if I look at the way that I approach food, it is rule oriented. Mm -hmm. I'm not not eating the burger because I love cows. I've, yeah. I'm eat, not eating the burger because I've thought about it. And I'm like, oh, that's wrong. I shouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if for a period of time, I don't have to backtrack, become what you might say behaviorally immoral to then make the larger journey of like, no, I actually feel connected to these cows. Because I think the rules, what they prevent you from doing, you just you just start to chafe under the rules. Like mm -hmm. when I see people eating a burger, I'm like, then I judge them and I want to and mm -hmm. I want to yell at them. And all of a sudden, I'm focused on like I'm holier than now, as opposed to what I want is to transform and feel connected to the cow, so I don't even want to eat the cow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and that would be a wonderful world to live in. So it's it seems like correct me if you disagree, but it seems like what you're saying is we've talked about this. There's stages in life, and sometimes there's the conquer the world stage, especially. I think men feel this more so than women, but I think everybody feels it to some degree. There's a period of time where you want to go out and improve your body, improve your finances, improve your friendships, improve your confidence, change the external world. Mm -hmm. It seems like habit training is great at that. Like, oh, I want to get more work done. We're going to make a productivity system. We're going to watch Thomas Frank on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, and we're yeah. going to figure out how to get more done in a day so I can work my job and start a side hustle. Conquer the world period, habit training. And then there's the second phase, and maybe you need the first phase to get to the second phase, or maybe you don't. I'm undecided on that, where it's like, I'm going to focus a lot less on the external outcomes to me in the sense of winning the game, right? Being Getting the most money, being in the best shape. And I'm going to focus on the spiritual, connecting with people, connecting with myself, self-love, universal consciousness, where it seems like the habit training can only take you so far, and you need to focus on what you're calling genuine transformation. Is that... Would you say that that's accurate? Yes, and that and that the path there is through truth, and the path to truth is through awareness, awareness awakening, opening your eyes, paying careful attention, not not buying the stories that your brain tells you of. Oh no, I want the car because I think I want the car, mm -hmm. and I and I wanted the last car. Instead, interrogating more deeply, like, do I want the car or do I just feel really anxious because I got turned down by someone that I'm attracted to? Mm -hmm. And did my last car really make me feel much different for much longer? Like. It's it's a deeper um, interrogation of the world and your and right, your and that awareness can take you. For, oh, why do I want this car? It's because I'm concerned about other people. Mm -hmm. Where does that come from? It comes from this fear that if I'm not good enough, I won't be loved, and I'll end up alone. Okay, well then maybe instead of buying this car, what I need to figure out is the root of why I'm scared to be alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds like that's awareness is useful there. Whereas when you're trying to create external change, like become better with the opposite sex. To become aware of your fear is not as useful yes. as just setting yes. up a series of stick and carrot such that you have promised you will Venmo your friend $100 if you don't talk to somebody that scares you and then get the habit going. Because uh, for th that period of your life, you've decided the focus is going to be on improving your interactions with the world in the realms of dating, business, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. And so that's where the habit training comes oh, in. Oh, 100%. Yeah. The, like if boot camp were instead meditation, I don't think you would have an effective army yep. in the world. It's Perfect. six weeks of jump, move, do what I say, wake up, quick shower, uh, training that sort mm -hmm. of behavior. Uh, but implicit in that worldview, which which is what leads to the second, is that I can, I can imagine a world that would be better than this one, and I know the path to get there. And then I just train these habits and mm -hmm. then I get there. And what you find is that, yes, that's true and it keeps you alive and there's, I'm not degrading it too much, but it does, the prize is not what you had hoped it would be in mm -hmm. terms of like, now I have the best army in the world and it's great and everybody's happy. It's like, no, like I'm still 
not satisfied and, mm-hmm. and, and there are still uh, continuous problems and maybe the problems don't end or maybe there's this second there's this second un- awareness that unra- unravels them a bit more. Cool. So, random. <laughs> uh, well, I'll come back to the, the first one. So, we, we'd mentioned this. I've been thinking a lot about the fall of the U.S. Mm. I've been thinking about the stimulus and the printing of funny money and the behaviors that I see and I'm personally fearful, I admit, um, but also trying to view the U.S. in historical context, which I truly believe we are living through the end of U.S. hegemony economically, militarily in the world. And I don't mean in the next year, two years, three years. I mean in the next 10 to 20 years that that it is very likely, and we've talked about this, by all indications, China has more people working harder, rowing in the same direction to be number one. And mm. the U.S. has more infighting, worse education, more arguing about how to divide the pie rather than on how to grow the pie. That's a big point. Um, China is very focused on growing the pie. Mm-hmm. And we seem to be squabbling about how to how to divide a shrinking pie or, mm-hmm. a, or a stagnant pie. Um, so I see all of this happening, and it makes me sad because they go, oh, I don't want to be CCP China, where they got the things, and your individuality is crushed. And uh, what we have in the U.S. is the shining beacon of history of individual liberty. But I tr- I'm, I pause and I go, not every single historical age has been an improvement over the last, but it tends to. It tends to. Mm-hmm. Dark ages were a step back, but. Since then, it, it tends to move forward. And I go, is it possible that this is a move forward? Mm-hmm. That I, my fear of China is like the uh, citizen of Great Britain's fear of the U.S. in 1776, mm-hmm. which is like, we had this wonderful empire and it was the Supreme, and the sun never sets on the British Empire. Now these upstart Americans who hide in the woods and shoot our generals and don't be- obey the rules are all going to run the world. And mm-hmm. it seems that that's been a, solid historical development. And so that's my question with regards to China. And I wonder if, uh, and I'm, this, is a new, this is a thought experiment, if individual liberties aren't all they cracked up, aren't all they are cracked up to be absolutely. Well, I'll take, let's take a step back. Is the world better off? You're talking about the world or the US is better because of China's rise to power? Well, I don't even know better. I'm just, I'm just looking at the arc of history and, I, and maybe U.S. citizens aren't better, but let's just say that the people within, that the people without, I don't know. You could, you the could people cut within it China are better off for overthrowing. Well, my, here's my question. What's your thesis in terms of when China takes over the U.S., it won't be that bad for whom or because of what? Good question. Um, I suppose that the person in Great Britain thought that it was just bad almost from a god's eye view mm-hmm. is what they thought like of course there's a lot of personal thing that it was bad for them but it was like this is bad for everybody because they're not godless but they don't obey by the conventional rules of mm-hmm. warfare they don't have uh they don't do things properly I, I don't know what the the criticisms of of the rebel colonies would have been then but it would have been that something akin to like this is a step backwards yep. for society and that's what i hear in the criticism of CCP China is that this is a step backwards. Do you think that the U.S. taking over as world superpower was not a step backwards for the world? That's a good and question. My, que- my question goes, technology has advanced, but that mm-hmm. would have been true whether Britain was number one or the U.S. was number mm-hmm. one, right? So assume technology advances at about the same rate. I guess my question is, is the world actually better off that the U.S. overthrew Britain? Because if you're saying, oh, the world's going to be better off if China overthrows the U.S., the world was better off when the U.S. overthrew Britain, I wonder if it's not just all the same. 
in the sense that I like, think you're probably right is that is that the everybody is just looking at it from their own personal perspective so the person in Great Britain was like look I grew up in this culture this is what I've adapted to and now the world is changing that's not good for me mm -hmm. and today me in the US is going look this individualism is something I highly value because I live in the US uh, China doesn't have that they're mm -hmm. taking power this isn't uh, I value privacy they don't mm -hmm. this Freedom isn't good for me and I guess what I was just saying is I guess for the person in China who's like look I don't value privacy like you do. <laughs> I value the community, uh, and social the cohesion, and, and and the two hundred year view, and all of these things. And I see myself as part of something much larger than me. And I'm happy if, not even happy, I am content to uh, lay down my life as a small piece of something much larger, and to not question my elders. Um, that those are all three very fair positions, and it would it's also reasonable for all three of them to butt heads with one another. Yeah, that's kind of where I come to. It's like if you think it's tragic that China will become number one or hearing China becoming number one is upsetting to you and you think the world is worse off, you have to acknowledge that someone in Britain thought that exact same thing mm -hmm. about the US. And so I think if you think the US was a step forward in evolution, you have to say China is probably a step forward in evolution. And there are step backwards, like we or, or failed starts like uh, communist Russia, which was, uh, is this the next step? And it seems like that just petered out. It so. didn't really take over though. Like you, the US took over a hundred years. You mm -hmm. gotta call that a successful mm -hmm. empire. <laughs> you have to say, there was a transition of power yeah. from Great Britain to the US. Uh, if China does become the world's number one superpower, Economy, militarily, military, yeah. economically, militarily, technologically, for 100 years, then you and have culturally. to say- Well, then culturally, that's-, that's Sure, and they start that. spreading out. Then you have to say that that transition occurred. And I don't think you have to say that about Russia. I don't mm -hmm. think they ever had, they weren't exporting culture or technology. Only to the block, I think. There right. was literally, well, not literally, a figurative iron curtain. <laughs> right. A and literal so, iron curtain would be quite strange. <laughs> <laughs> no, and so that, I guess, yeah, it's like, my my sense is probably, how far you want to zoom out? The earth doesn't care as a planet. Yeah, yeah, no the cares. human species doesn't care. Like, the fact that it'll be China or the US or England, these things affect the people alive today. Mm -hmm. But in a thousand years, I don't think anyone's going to wish that China had lost or won. Just like I think very few people now are like, oh, I really wish that... England had stayed in power over the U.S. Got it. Just kind of like, this is what it is. You you live your life in the world you're born into. Sure. I guess what it allowed me to do was calm down for a moment and go, wait a second. I'm not, personally, I'm unlikely to change my view of the value of individualism because I grew mm -hmm. up in the society and, I, and I'm and i unlikely to uh, want to be a panopticon of like CCP China where they can pull you off the street and disappear you. That's not going to be something that I personally ascribe to. But what, I, what it did make me feel better about, it's like if China is going to succeed in the world. It seems like there's, I don't know how many millions, some portion of the billion plus people that live there that by their own standards are living happy lives and that that will not become impossible mm -hmm. in any sort of new age. And that that was my fear. Is like, look, if, if, if you take these values away from me, it feels like happiness and fulfillment and flourishing are impossible. But maybe that's not the case. Well, the other thing is, personally, I think that the U.S. is going to fall to number two or number three. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to be the complete destruction of the U.S. land, people, and mm -hmm. economy to the point of being uh, a struggle to survive in a Mad Max dystopia. You know what I mean? Like even Germany that just got clocked at the end of the world wars. Mm -hmm. Today, not that far into sure. the future, pretty good culture liberal philosophy, the people seem happy, not a lot of infighting, not a lot of wars. I'm sure there's disagreements, but like they're okay. So I feel like 
other than just the desire to be in the country that considers itself number one, life in the U.S. will probably just go on. And like yeah. there'll be changes, but I don't I don't imagine that people in the U.S. 80 years from now will be any less happy than people in Germany today. Sure. I guess what I was doing and I, this is what I'm saying. I'm not saying that I agree with the way that the CCP does things. I want to make that clear. Um, what I was doing, I think, was buying the propaganda, the same pro like the, the evil empire mm -hmm. propaganda as opposed to this is a self-interested nation with a completely different foundation of uh, geography, yeah. history, et cetera, that is looking out for their own interests to the best of their ability sure. and not and not uh, some evil with a capital E empire. I think there are a lot of fantastic things about the United States of America. Mm -hmm. But if I had to pick who we were in the most recent Star Wars movies, <laughs> the guys who were the evil empire with the red lightsabers or the blue ones, you got to say we're the red ones. There's a movie that is literally about smaller, worse technology, but they have gumption <laughs> and they come in and they suicide bomb <laughs> a defense system that allows the empire. Which one to is get, that? What's that one called? It's, the, it's a standalone Rogue one. Rogue One, yeah. I watched Rogue One and I went, this basically is propaganda to overthrow the U.S. That was my <laughs> takeaway. I was just like, this is exactly what you would show someone if you wanted them to have the ideology yeah. that they should lay down their lives. A diverse cast the of, of diverse ragtag. Cast of ragtag. <laughs> we don't have the technology. We don't have the size. We don't have the money, but we're going to do it because right is on our side. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this is basically just, just and they're going to suicide they should, bomb they it. Suicide, yeah. and they, do, they, they sacrifice their lives in a suicide bombing. Yeah, I was like. Okay, it's weird to be sitting in, I think it was New York City at while the time. While people cheer. And, and everyone's like, yeah! Isn't it like, funny that Americans still identify? And I think there's, there's of course, America, it, the experience of America from an American's perspective is not the experience of it from the world or any other individuals. But it's funny that we still have this outlaw, upstart yeah, yeah. view of ourselves in, in the world when it's like, most other people would see you as the big behemoth that titanic was, you know that was my thing i literally was just in an audience cheering i was like guys we're the ones being blown up right now yeah, like yeah. what who do you think you are in this movie mm -hmm. so yeah i think uh i don't know if it's going to be good or bad in the short term might not be fun for us but human race is going to be totally fine yeah i also think we'll just fall to number two we'll hit some weird homeostasis where life isn't hell here mm -hmm. very good i have mo do you have more no no dude that's it so I want to say, so we spoke, uh, it's been a minute Yeah, now. we got to say. Uh, well, <laughs> we got to say what? Oh, I thought you were going to say why I have nothing to say today. No, We had no, a conversation no. with Rolo Tomasi for three uh, hours. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we got, we were, we, uh, we'll publish that later maybe, but uh, that's why today's going to be short. Well, I actually have some other stuff. So what I was, I was going to say was that we spoke about abortion. I don't know how long ago. Um, and we also had a number of other things. And I would say, just shout out, I don't think this can be sustained and I won't hang my hat on it, but the quality of the comments was very, very good, really engaging in disagreement and agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of the things that will make me sad if if we are so lucky as to be successful is to watch that deteriorate yeah. and degrade, which which is an inevitability. No, even the, even the disagreements were thoughtful and mm -hmm. uh, empathetic to the fact that not everyone has to feel the same way. It was cool. Yeah. And so one thing that I wanted to bring out, which I think was a good critique of me, and it made me reflect, was that, let me see if I can get the exact thing. I'll have to, I'll have to go down here. Um, yeah, it accused me of whataboutisms, which is, you know, somebody makes a critique and then you go, oh yeah, what about this, which I think is, is true and I'll, and I'll explain, with regard to quotas mm -hmm. in the workplace. Um, and I said, well, what about these other things? Now, what I realize is 
I can make an argument against quotas in the workplace. And that argument will address the uh, premises that would lead one to that conclusion, and it would attack the premises on the grounds of, is, it, is this a valid premise? And all right, is the conclusion valid? Does the conclusion follow from these premises, et cetera? And if we want, we can do that. But I almost, I rarely do that in discussion with people because that is not something that is persuasive. <laughs> when people when when people take apart your premises and say this isn't true, this isn't true, this is true, nobody changes their mind. People change their mind when you show how they are inconsistent and don't want the logical conclusion of the principle that they are pushing forward. So just for example, what I was saying is that people who say that they want equality, well how about equality at the bottom? of, you know, that you want equality between men and women, so 50% in the boardroom. Okay, how about 50% homeless in the street? How about 50% suicides? How about 50% of combat deaths? We, we're going to have equality. That is not an argument against, against equality at all because you can go, yeah, let's do all of those things, and, and all of a sudden then problem solved. But what it is, it's, it's a persuasive way of getting someone to back off of that belief, but at no point do I ever explain why equality uh, in that outcome way oughtn't be pursued. Mm. Does that make sense? Yep. And so it's a fair criticism of me that I do uh, whataboutisms and I do that and I do it because I find that uh, attacking premises and, and dismantling them carefully is not <laughs> as effective, <laughs> which yeah. is which is interesting. But from a philosophical standpoint, I have to admit, mea culpa, like... Do, yeah. you, do you want to run through it for one of these? Oh, gosh, I, I wrote some of it down. So yeah, so the, the criticism of... Um, we talked about how, let's see if I can pull this all up real quick. Fun. Okay. We talked about diversity quotas. Uh, it, why we should have, uh, and I believe it, I, I read the whole list, but it was uh, black, Pacific Islander, Latino, female. I, female wasn't included in this one, in this previous one. LGBT. LGBT uh, need to have a certain amount of people in public company boardrooms in California going forward, according mm -hmm. to this new legislation. So the argument is one that you've heard before, which is that um, the, the underlying reason why you would want a quota is because you believe that those people should be there but are being uh, held back in some way from, from having achieved that. And mm -hmm. you need to actively remove the barriers in order to get them there. But the, the simple argument is that uneven representation of a group in a particular area does not imply discrimination against that group, even if that group has been historically oppressed. So, for example, just to illustrate my point, Jews in professional sports. Mm. Jews have been, they suffered the Holocaust. Their numbers went down dramatically. But I've never heard someone say the reason that we don't have a representative amount of Jews in the NBA is because of their historical oppression. Okay, so sorry, the, the premise you're laying out is that you want people to accept is just because there was historical oppression and you do not see a representative percentage of the population in a given thing does not mean it's because those people are being segregated. And I will say uh, that seems reasonable when you talk about the NBA. I don't think that Jews are being excluded despite being as talented as other people. Exactly. So now what you have to do is if you are saying that so, so if it doesn't follow immediately, it can still follow, right? It can still follow. Like, yes, I know that that isn't implied, but um, let's that there, there that I could make a case that in whatever the 
before Jackie Robinson or even in the era of Jackie Robinson that no, this is a historically oppressed group and you've excluded them. And that's the reason that they're no, they're, they're not represented in the major league baseball. So now you have to give specific arguments as to why these specific groups are being held back and why we should then counteract that in the specific area that you're trying to Can I make sure for. I'm tracking this? Sure. You're saying if the pop, if the percentage of the population and the percentage of the people in that activity aren't similar, it doesn't mean that there's not something systemic holding them back. Mm -hmm. But it also doesn't mean you can automatically assume that there is something correct besides the fact that they just aren't good at basketball or baseball correct. holding them back. And so when it came to it black is not a sufficient baseball, argument to say, look at this photo, which is what I often see on Reddit. Like, look at the, what does this photo tell you? This photo tells you nothing. Yeah, <laughs> like, got it. This, okay. So for baseball, it was because of uh, racism, excluding mm -hmm. quality black athletes because of basketball. It's probably not because they're trying to make the court majority black. It's mm -hmm. just that those are the best people at basketball. Yes. And so, so you have to go case by case. Is that what you're saying? Correct. Okay. Correct. The other thing that happens, and this is not along the same line, and so you could have a whole discussion of why this does or doesn't count. And you would have to, and this is the other thing. Um, there's many ways on which I disagree with the quotas. The idea that of an oppressed group cannot necessarily be applied to an individual. This is the fallacy of division. Oh, I saw this. You're, you're saying like, so I think- Pizzas are shaped circularly. Therefore, slices of people, slices of pizza are circular. It's like, no, that something that you can say is true of the whole does not necessarily become true of the individual. And an example being Malia Obama or, and you know, if Oprah Winfrey ever has a baby, like the, that, that, uh, that the fact that there has been historical black oppression in the United States, which I do not dispute, does not evenly apply to every person with a characteristic black. And the same can be said of gay or, or Asian American or other things. And Two all. black people, they have a very different personal experience of being oppressed. And if you care about gene genealogy, their families might have a very different experience mm -hmm. when it comes to oppression in the US. That's what you're saying? That it's, it's so I guess the simplest way is it's the fallacy of decision of division to, and the same there's a fallacy of composition to say that because one black person is this way that all black people are like the, that that is just it doesn't it's not true. Mm. So to say that as a group, the collectively there have been uh, tendencies and problems and we see that in uh, in various statistics and we see that in the history books and we see that in, in slavery and we see that in Jim Crow that does not that and because black people historically have been oppressed, that does mean that a black individual has that same thing. You need to establish that. Now, can it be the case? Absolutely. It absolutely can be the case that someone on an individual basis has faced discrimination that has stopped them from achieving some sort of position of prominence, in which case you could make an argument for a quota or you could start to, if not for these other things that I'm gonna start to say. Okay. Um, so the third, uh, we often treat companies like a monolith. Um, so take, so included in this is gay people, black people, Asian American people, women are in a different one. Uh, but just- oh, Asian Americans are included? Asian Americans are included. Oh. Um, so clearly, I mean, one, I'm gonna divide this further, but all of those separate groups, like, so go to Broadway, for instance, it's very likely that gay Americans uh, have not faced limitations to their moving up. Maybe they have, uh, and I don't see it, but, they seem to make up a larger percentage of Broadway stars than the population, than the average population. Um, and you can you can do this. You know, women. Uh, we lived in Las Vegas. My brother was a cup boy, and his girlfriend was the cocktail waitress. He worked two hours longer, twice as hard the whole time, and she made twice as much money. Uh, 
why is it was is it because of historical oppression? This no, it's because the value in a, in a club in Vegas is to be an attractive woman who mm-hmm. sells the bottles just by her very presence. Um, but the point being that you cannot treat uh, all of these groups evenly because they one the groups all have different histories and different things. So I guess I'm making two points with this one. One is that, that. I'm making two points. Um, one is that you need to treat the companies particularly. You know what so I mean? Disney versus a nightclub versus a basketball league yes. versus an oil yes. and gas company. And, and let, let's do it. It's entirely possible that uh, one company has had horribly discriminatory practices against Asian Americans, let's say, and that a quota might be appropriate. But that does not mean, and this is where people come to the systemic thing, which I'll get back to later, but it does not then follow that every public company in California has had this. Now, you have to believe in the, the systems of uh, of oppression. But then, of course, you get into the problem of if we're going to have set quotas that are at the level of representation, so if Asian Americans make up 5% and blacks make up 13 that's what we need to see, you are assuming that the systemic oppression has been even across these and that gay Americans need to make up a certain amount. You're assuming that the systemic oppression is the same, despite the fact that the history is completely different. Like Asian Americans and black Americans as groups, not as individuals, have very, very, very different national histories. Mm -hmm. So to say that we need to equalize seems a little bit silly because they're not facing, even one would assume they're not facing the same barriers unless you assume that the problem is that the entire country is set up to benefit white straight males. Okay. And this and the only way that to get around that is to presuppose that whiteness and maleness and straightness are uh, have been equal limitations to access of public company CEO positions, which to me just seems a little bit weird. Uh, like one I, d- I fundamentally disagree with with all three of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we could talk about why, but I'll I'll continue on. If there's other points that people disagree with, please, please. Hop Are you going to address that at some point? Yeah, this? we can come. Let's come back to it at the end. Okay. Um, so yeah, one, you would need to treat them separately. And one of the things that you find is you go, oh, you know, okay, let's, are they held back? Let's look at the results. Well, one of the things that people in favor of quotas do is they like to look at aggregate st- statistics mm-hmm. and say that this is representation of discrimination. The problem is if you look at aggregate statistics of homosexual men in the workplace, what you find is that they earn 10% more than their straight counterparts, which is a problem if the evidence of <laughs> of uh, discrimination is simply aggregate outcomes. Because mm-hmm. then what you would have to do is say that we need more straight men in high-earning positions compared to their gay counterparts. Uh, and I, for the record, I don't think that there is discrimination against straight men in the workplace. I think that different groups, you expect them to be represented differently. Racism and discrimination that ought and occur can occur, but I don't think it has in that regard. And I don't think it has in the regards that we've, uh, at least to the degree that, that uh, a quota would become necessary. Um, Where's that data come from that, that on average, Homosexual men make ten percent more than heterosexual. Men. I believe it's. I'm. I'm not actually certain. I'll have, and if anybody wants to fact check me and say that that's not the case, feel free to do so. You I just try to pull it up. I just curious. I, I literally it. just because I had a hunch and I was like, "What do you know?" So, so it, it, it's totally possible epistemologically that I'm full of shit. So <laughs> if that's false, come get me. But you could imagine a world, and it wouldn't be hard. But that would absolutely be the case. I don't think um, the the discrimination that gay people face, which I think is real, uh, is I don't know is is as workplace centric, you know, I think, I think that it is, I think it happens when you're young. 
and That's and I'm sure I it happens when you're old. I'm sure it happens in the street, but I don't know that it's it it is as workplace centric. Mm. Um, so, Justin, chime in if you find it. <laughs> yeah, Charlie's right. From um, 2013 to 2015, National Health Interview Surveys found that gay full time employed men made on average 10 percent more than similarly employed straight men. Sure, and it could be bunk data. It could be all these other things, and I I completely throw my hands up in the air, but it's reasonable and possible that that is the case. Um, so that was my point, that, that discrimination is not a monolith, that, mm-hmm. that, that the way that the discrimination that uh, the black also- community faces is not the same as the Asian community, is not the same as the gay community, is not the same as the other thing. And also within those communities that what each individual experiences is, of course, different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I've got a lot here. I'm just, I'm just skipping through it. I went on a little tear. Um, I think, and this is, this is the filler, then the question becomes how, and this is where people argue, and this is the Jordan Peterson, Kathy Newman debate, is that, okay, how does this occur? Explain these different outcomes uh, in light of the fact that it's not discrimination. And mm. of course, for each group, it might be a very different explanation. Mm. So it's not enough to say uh, it's culture. It's not enough to say it's this. You can imagine for women, it might be choices related to raising families. You know, And, and again, it doesn't, the other thing that comes in all of this, it's possible that discrimination plays some role and that biology plays some role, and that uh, culture plays some role, but to ascribe it all offhand to a system of oppression seems foolish to me. Um, so in any event, that that would be my, uh, It's I'm not arguing necessarily that it is not the case. I'm. Those are reasons why I am not convinced that it is the case, that discrimination uh, is the primary factor by which uh, these unequal representations are occurring. By the way, I expect that Asian Americans are represented just fine in some of these C-level positions in the state of California in public companies. Um, I could be wrong, but that that tends to track with what I would expect in the tech thing, but could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I'm open to that being the hypothesis, but all of the data and all of the argumentation that I've heard for it has fallen very flat for me. Mm-hmm. It has been, uh, it then then it's you, it's privilege denies privilege. It, that's what privilege does. It's the, it, you're, it's, it's the Salem witch trials. If you deny this, you're a witch, you know, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it, it, it presumes that all of this must be true rather than building the case. If the case were built more thoroughly, and it would have to be built on an individual basis of groups, and you would have to, then then I could be much more open to it. But I would still have issues with what would I like to do to equalize opportunity in society, and it would be to not treat people primarily as functions of their gender orientation, uh, sex, gender, and skin color, but instead to treat people as individuals of of whom I'm one of the most privileged that has ever walked the earth and doesn't need a ton of advantages, but there could be someone who's gay, straight, male, otherwise, who does need advantages that I that I don't. What? And we can collectively create programs to to provide those. And I would particularly want them sent towards um, the youngest Americans, mm-hmm. the, the 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 lowest, not the lowest, the the most youthful generation, because I think that's where the most good can come. So anyway. Well, can I just hop in? So <laughs> that's a lot. I, I, think, I think also there's a bit of like, oh, you're at odds with the people who are trying to fix the problem. But I actually disagree. I've said this before. If you misattribute the problem, you misattribute the solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's possible that all this quota does is instead of getting an upper class white person from an Ivy League school, it gets an upper class 
minority from an Ivy League school. I went to an Ivy League school and I saw this all the time. I knew one person who came from a bad background, but the majority of the people I saw were like very similar in personality and ideology and just happened to look different, which is cool. You should have people that look different. But when you're trying to figure out how to help, it might make more sense if the quota has something to do with if you were raised by just one parent, if you were born into a certain socioeconomic place, if you had a certain zip code, if you faced a certain, if one of your parents was in jail. I don't know what it is, but I think if we are willing to entertain that maybe it goes beyond the color of your skin and yeah. look at and study the data and try to go from, let's even blind the variables. Let's just call them A, B, C, D, E, so that the scientists don't know and go, what variables seem to have the biggest outcome with how successful you are? And then go, okay, it turns out that the thing that screws you isn't necessarily what you look like, but it's blank. And then mm -hmm. you can go solve that. And if that happens to help 95% black people and 5% white people or 100% Asian people or 100% gay people, that's totally fine. It's not about helping everybody in the same percentage of the population that they make up either. Uh, it's about figuring out like, why is it that we see this lack of representation? And I think then you can have a quota that makes sense. And you can have something where it's like, oh, we need to at like an entry level for college. Well, I don't think you would have a quota is the thing. I don't think you would have a quota. I think you would have targeted programs younger that that, that and they would. But you might have. So, for instance, like you might say that if certain institutions are better at educating people, that you would take a certain amount of people who were born into a certain class, neighborhood, this, that, whatever mm -hmm. it was like you would have affirmative action, but it'd be based on the variables that lead to. Mm -hmm having a being born further from the starting line. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think weirdly enough, this isn't, it's not like a battle to not help people. It's not like being at odds with uh, each other. It's, it's actually, I think the idea is we should all want to get together and be like, let's help the people that got dealt the worst hand. And what you're saying is like, this might just help somebody who looks different, but had the exact same hand. It was like born down the street from the other people on the board of directors. That's a big part of what I'm saying. But I'm also, I mean, it, it, it is even more complicated. And that's that's great. And what you did, interestingly, was you did a handful of whataboutisms, right? You didn't, what I just did was this long, boring disagreement of the premises. Mm. And then you said, what if instead we just tried to, you know, it's a, and I think that what you did was infinitely more persuasive. <laughs> and that's why I try to speak that way most of the time. But interestingly, it's, it's not just... I don't think that helping people like they got the worst hand, but we've talked about IQ. If you have a 70 IQ, I don't think it's fair to say that you should make up an even representation of C-suites in, in uh, California public companies as mm -hmm. you do in the U.S. general population. Uh, so it's, 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 it is what you said, but also it's not only what you said. Mm -hmm. uh, I do believe that what you want to do broadly, and, we can, and it might get sticky with the specifics, is to try to provide a floor of human experience, mm -hmm. which you do, do not allow people to fall below and allow for differences. And this is the difficult thing. Like parents work hard and it's, it's such a silly point to provide their kids with more money to give them an advantage over the kid down the street. That's, mm -hmm. that's what parents struggle to do is to parent better to get them baby Mozart when they're in there, to mm -hmm. give them every advantage so that they get the job and you don't. Mm -hmm. And if what the government is constantly trying to do is negate that, <laughs> is negate those advantages that people are, are trying over and over and over to provide for their children, uh, I don't think it works. Mm -hmm. I, I think what the government is better served to do is to provide a floor 
of uh, services and experiences that they will not allow people to fall below. You know, I see. Funny? Yeah, that will not help how people feel at all because we've talked about this on the podcast, but it, it, the anger that people feel oftentimes is in comparison to other people, mm -hmm. not in relation to their own Maslow's hierarchy of needs, sure. funny enough. So like if everyone has food and everyone has a home, but certain people have flying cars and the people who don't have flying cars have Teslas mm -hmm. in the future, like Teslas are great right now. Everyone would like to have one. But if that's the future, people are going to be pissed to have a Tesla instead of a flying car. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you set that floor and people at the floor are probably equally mad to the people who have struggled with poverty today. I'm comfortable even if you with a high floor, floor, to be clear. I'm comfortable with a, with a high floor. I uh, don't think that helps is what I'm saying. I think, well, that, I think that inequality seems to be more upsetting than where your floor is. Well, here's what I'm saying. If the top is here, the floor could be here, the floor could be here. You can reduce inequality or at least perceived inequality by raising that floor. And I'm not anti. I actually think the direction that the world will go, if I look at CCP China, is towards increased government is towards increased uh, and i don't know if it's going to be done through uh it's not increased government it's increased decision making at the collective level mm -hmm. so it doesn't have to be government it might be twitter votes or, yeah, or yeah. whatever but well no it's increased thought for the collective by a smaller mm -hmm. number of people though if you look at ccb china maybe or maybe Neuralink will come in and we'll just all become like axons and a neuron and you know I'm like saying, <laughs> if you compare the u.s to china actually mm -hmm. it's more people make decisions in the U.S. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what slows us down. Yeah. And in China, it's a smaller group of people making a decision that seems to actually be for the betterment of their country yeah. 200 years out. Yes. And this is, and I feel like I have to say this when I when I talk about this kind of stuff because it gets so easily misinterpreted. And this is why, again, I don't often talk premises, but like we just did the the charity water campaign. Unfortunately, they shut the video down. We're gonna have to yeah, we'll re-release the OnlyFans, but um. I personally, I think that way too many people get no chance to, to have a happy life. Mm -hmm. Way too many people within and without America. And I think it is incumbent upon the people like me who have privileges that go far beyond my skin color, uh, that go beyond the four functioning limbs that I have, the functioning brain that I have, the loving parents and family that I grew up into, the fact that I wasn't born into a war zone, the fact that I didn't get hit by a car like that there was somebody in 11th grade who just got hit by a car in our class. You know, like sure. the my, fact that I could drink water without getting a mouth tumor. My, my privileges extend so far beyond. And I would I would rate my skin color as as really if, if I listed them out. And I think most people would agree. No, nowhere anywhere in those top ones that I had just listed and we could keep going. Yeah. Like the, in, in all the long list of ways that humans differ in uh, accidents of birth. I've got so many more important ones than that. Uh, and yeah, I cer certainly I think skin skin color is something I would change before a lot of other variables. Like if you're like, you're going to be white and black. If you stay white, though, you're going to be born in Rwanda. You're going to mm -hmm. be born with a 70 IQ. You're going to mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, there's a lot of instances where I'd be like, no, change my skin color. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about Rwanda, so no, no insult. <laughs> Isn't that where the biggest <laughs> genocides are occurring? Isn't that uh, where the R Rwanda had a big one. That was Hotel Rwanda. I don't know if it's still occurring. Congo has, oh, has Congo a lot is of issues. The, is that the one? Yeah, but again, it's where in the Congo, right? Which are you going to be born into? You know, like you're going to be born into that wonderful mansion where they collect all the diamonds, or are you going to be born into the diamond panning part where they're going through the river and mm. I was thinking the, the one where seven year olds are at yes, war with yes. each other with machine guns. Point is, I understand totally what you're saying. So, um, I want a world that corrects more for the fact that it is a million accidents of birth that have allowed me to have such a wonderful life and that provides access to as many of those accidents to as many children as possible. 
and and that might mean needing to help adults and to set up infrastructure yeah. and all these kinds of Do things. Do you think there's an argument for nationalism? Because I think one area that people might mm -hmm. uh, disagree is like we have identified that pe children who don't get access to clean water is very unfair. And so we send a lot of money out of the U.S. Mm. to other countries to dig wells. Do you think that there's a, I can't present it because I don't believe it, but do you think there's a argument to be made that that money should be kept in-house, shouldn't go across the border? There's an argument. I, I, I don't, you can make the argument for nationalism, but I think what it's based upon is the argument for uh, localized, uh, what is it called? Not the, What's the opposite of a deficit? Surplus? Surplus. Localized surpluses. Uh, it's not the nicest thing for the world in any given moment, but take Renaissance Italy. Like if you have these very rich people that like pay Leonardo da Vinci to experiment with these flying machines, you sometimes get breakthrough technologies mm. that take a long time, but help way more people. Unfortunately, what happens in the interim is Let's say you could have provided uh, sustenance to everybody at a level one. And instead, what you do is you give it to these guys at a level 10 and everybody else gets a zero. And then within a, a generation or two, now there's more to go around. Well, there were gener there was a generation that got zero. Yeah. Um, and so that's that seems to be the argument for localized surpluses is that it not just art, and but technology and uh, forms of government and all of these things that, that allow humans to, to live generally better lives. Yeah can can really grow in those surplus areas and then be exported but comes at a cost yeah it's also this is a little bit of a tangent but the the idea that the china is definitely going to surpass the united states i don't think is certain we've got techno technology hail marys we've got mm. elon musk's <laughs> i think we have a chance i think they have us beat in a lot of ways they row the boat in a more orchestrated direction more people all that stuff but there's a chance you just come out with cold fusion or a Neuralink or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the U.S. can maintain its empire just by innovating in a way that overcomes all the other ways in which we're weaker mm -hmm. than those other countries. So yeah. I'm not counting us out yet. We're just betting on a few horses. Yes, we are betting that the trend of continued interest in education, STEM fields, uh, proves to be important and that the next big economic breakthrough is not going to come from a social media star, which we are producing at record levels. Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like that I'm betting that engineering and science will continue to be the fields from it's which probably like a <laughs> hundred people in the U S out of all 300 million that can, yeah. that can keep us number one. Yeah. Yeah. But of course it's, it's based on, you know, one of the interesting things about science and it's still science is that, uh, applied science is rarely where, and I don't know if this is, it's not true in every case, but some, I'll put it this way. Some of the largest breakthroughs in scientific history are not applied science. It's some dude like mm -hmm. Maxwell playing with magnets. Mm -hmm. It's like, what is the use of this? Nobody could have anticipated that magnets were gonna then form the basis of electricity and mm -hmm. that of the, the Earth's magnetic field or sending satellites into the sky that uh, you can't always predict from where the next breakthrough will come sure. and so if you're just like no we need cancer research we have to look into cancer 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 it's possible that that will be where the breakthrough comes it's also possible that it's going to just be some dude who loves studying butterflies and realizes butterflies don't get cancer and then it's like sure. maybe it's the butterfly venom studies jellyfish yeah, yeah. The jellyfish ages back and forth yeah yeah never dies of old age exactly. that's interesting let's study it for what purpose i don't know i'm just interested. And like yeah. oh this is a small thing in the genes that makes it grow its telomeres back yes well yes. we just cured death yes um, exactly. And it often, it often solves the problem at a higher order. That's, mm -hmm. that's actually the better point. It's not that you're going to cure cancer with the butterflies. It's that the jellyfish will cure aging in, yeah. in a way that just like makes that previous order of applied science completely unimportant. Um, so applied science is still great. I think, I think continue to do it. Engineering is still really important, but also 
just the general interest in understanding the world is also important for those those breakthroughs. What else you got? Let me see. I don't know that I have a ton more. We can do a, a short one because, we, like I said, we, we had an interview. You said we had an interview, so it's been a long day. The last thing that I'll say is, and um, it is interesting. Uh, so we, we put this video up of OnlyFans simps. And in retrospect, I'm not that involved with the uh, post-editing. And it was it was racy, you know, and and had I done it, I think I might have cooled it off more than it was. But I the way that I like to operate is I hate touching anything that I create after I've written the script. It's almost like it's it feels like I've pooped. And that's what if like this is my creation and get it flush it away from me. I want it gone. I don't watch my videos. I don't. I hate when I'm asked to give feedback on the visuals. Yeah. I, I trust our you're team not involved in the B roll at all. I'm involved in the A roll, which is those moments where I say, and also this and the sound plays. I choose all of that, but I, I really do not pick B roll, um, and I and I really try to avoid being involved in all of that, yep. which is my own neuroses. I just can't look at something; it's my poop, it's my it's my creation, <laughs> and I love hate it at this point. Um, but anyway, it came out racy, and we were right up until the deadline, almost not going to be able to do our charity water call to action. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was interesting that the cascading chain of events that caused that to happen, which was something like, did you get my voice note on it? Yeah. Okay. It was just interesting. It was, you know, uh, we called it, uh, simping for charity. One of the people in the thing looked up simps. They found that it was a bad word, at least wherever they looked it up. Then they looked at the video, found that it was racy then they were concerned that it might not be good. So they kicked it up to their boss. Their boss didn't know what to do, was fairly new at the company and just said, uh, this is too hot to handle. Uh, can you please not be associated with us? Which would have at this point cost Charity Water $20,000 mm -hmm. of, and that's like thousands, I don't know, of what, thousands of people getting clean water or whatever. 500. 500 people. 500 people getting clean water um, for 10 years. For 10 years is what it is. Uh, and it was just interesting that the chain of events was not, as you said, it wasn't malicious. It mm -hmm. wasn't anybody being like, I can't handle this. It was just a lot of fear of this. This is too racy. This is too like somebody's going to have a problem. And there's and and not understanding our process, not understanding that the video takes a week to write and mm -hmm. a week to edit. There mm -hmm. was a sense of like, hey, can you just swap us on to the next video or like, yeah. hey, can you delay this a week and I'll get my boss to look at it on mm -hmm. Monday because it was on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, no, we're small. <laughs> we're yeah, not yeah. We, yeah, like charity water. It's like hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people. I was like, that's not really how we work. We don't have this back catalog. We're this weird startup thing. Uh, this is our only video that we have ready for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So that was another part of the Got it. things. They were just like, oh, just put us, just publish a different video. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, dude, I wish we had 10 amazing videos in the hopper. Yeah. We got this or nothing. Well, even that. And what I was saying is it wasn't that we actually bothered anyone's sensibilities is that everyone was concerned for someone else's sensibilities yeah. out there in the world. And that's because of whatever you want to call it, the, the tweet mob, this, the, mm -hmm. the, that is the way that we live is we all imagine the most, and I do this when I write these videos, which is why I would have made a tamer because I've, I've learned to live like this and I speak like this on the podcast. You learn to imagine the most Puritan, least charitable taking understanding. of. Yeah, that's my bad. I was like, just make it less, make it as racy as Instagram. Mm -hmm. That was my, that was my messaging. I was yeah, like, yeah. if it can be seen on Instagram, you can put it in our video. <laughs> and cause I was just thinking about it from like a legal standpoint yeah, yeah. of like, oh, this is, this is fine for the public. It didn't occur to me that if you showed certain people's Instagrams, to certain religious audiences in our mm -hmm. uh, Charisma on Command subscriber base, they would hate that Instagram. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So I was just like, oh yeah, just keep it, 
keep it Instagram or yeah. tamer. And it's like, no, that's not good direction because yeah. someone would see an Instagram and be like, oh, this is inappropriate. Well, we learned why studios don't make our movies. You know what I mean? It mm -hmm. just, so what happened was this video did so well for us. It was, it was and I was like, this is going to crush it. This is going to make a hundred thousand dollars for charity water. Uh, and then boop, this is the like views count. It well, YouTube just, clamped it, right? Yeah. Completely, completely shut it off. So we're going to have to make a, a G or a PG version, same audio as best I can. But uh, no, no graphic content because I lesson learned. Yeah, great lesson learned, and but also just interesting that um, there are people certainly that were bothered by it. My mom was even when I watch it, I'm like, this is too much. But it doesn't doesn't upset me, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that weirdly enough, there's there's such a concern for the person out there that is going to be upset by the joke or the the flesh or the whatever that we neglect that 90% of us are like, look, it wasn't my taste, but it's fine. Like, you know, I can handle this. Well, like, my miss on it, because I was I was hyper aware on Sh Andrew Schultz. Yeah. Because Andrew Schultz says some jokes that I was like, people will be upset by this. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that I'm in California and grew mm -hmm. up on the East Coast and I have a very liberal sensibility when it comes to nudity. Yeah. It didn't occur to me that in the same way you would, I try to pick the joke that was at the expense of Israel because I'm Jewish and some reason that gets me a pass yeah, by yeah. the broader audience when it's Andrew Schultz. It didn't occur to me like, oh, you the, this B-roll, even if it's a girl on Instagram in a bathing suit, is going to offend people. Mm -hmm. Or, didn't, or didn't and, cross my mind. And YouTube will, will squeeze it. Didn't um, cross my mind. No, good to know. And and this is this is lessons that that I knew. And quite frankly, like I said, um, I don't blame anyone on the team because I purposely didn't get involved, <laughs> uh, and that's my bad. But uh, this is something that I've learned from doing this for three years. Is that I get why studios make G PG PG thirteen movies mm -hmm. the most because your reach at that level, not just because it's it's ten x what your reach is at the R level, not because. 90% of people can't take R, but because other people think that their kids can't take R or think yeah, this yeah. or are worried about it or and now movie theaters don't want to distribute it as well, much. The, so the show Lucifer is lucky because it ended up being the most watched show on Netflix. But mm -hmm. they, someone tried, I mean, someone, I think 100,000 people or 10,000 people tried to cancel it before it was even published, before mm -hmm. season one came out because it's about Lucifer. Yeah. But it sympathizes with Lucifer. And honestly, I think, I don't think that the Bible necessarily would be against that. But this group of people was like, yeah. you're... Satanists, basically, you're like Satan forgivists, and you're gonna welcome in the Antichrist. And they like they tried to veto the show. Interesting. And so it's like the show was already shot. The actors were already paid. This wow. would have been a flush of millions of dollars. And you know, luckily, it didn't happen. People saw the show; it was very successful. But you could imagine where that studio just goes. I'm never touching anything related to God. Like Good Omens was on Amazon, right? Mm -hmm. If Lucifer gets canceled to the loss of twenty million dollars, Good Omens is a great book. I'm not making that show. Yeah. About how God and the devil are more similar than they think. No, I don't touch anything that has to do with religion. So this is, yeah, man, this is a fascinating topic because the same thing, I I mean, this occurs in the political realm. It occurs, um, it occurs all over the place. We could try to identify exactly what the specific topics are. I think mm -hmm. you nailed religion as one. Uh, people tend not to do politics because it just immediately crushes your, your reach. The Rock came out and said, you know, I encourage you to vote for Joe Biden. We'll see how that affects him or doesn't. Hmm. Um, I didn't know that, but yeah, but it, well, uh, you could, the, the crazier thing would have been if he said, I support Trump. Cause then he would have had a harder time finding work, I think in Hollywood. So it's less crazy for him to polarize in that particular direction. Oh, I think his, he'll find work. He just might've lost fans. He might've lost fans, but they'll still, it's probably not going to hurt him too much. But the point is, um, it's funny that we live in a world and we are, I, I am subject to this where we do not want to be confronted with various aspects of existence that 
that we that people disagree with our religion, that people disagree with our taste of what is what is appropriate, that people mm-hmm. have all these things. Uh, but it doesn't make them go away. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you can effectively click X on your social media feed, but uh, this I feel like there's this worldwide repression of I mean sexuality being one of the things, which is why we see all of these confusions around consent and how sex works yeah, yeah. and like does what is verbal consent? Is this something that is naturally going to occur in a hundred percent of sexual interactions, or is it more likely to be body language based? Like because we aren't able to discuss honestly what sex looks like. Mm-hmm as a collective, we then get all these problems around consent because uh, no one has the same understanding of it. <laughs> or, or if you censor racism without trying to understand how racism this comes is to be. a good one, yeah. It's like, we, you know, Obama's president. I think most, most racists are kind of out of sight, out of mind. Then all of a sudden Trump comes in. And I'm actually not sa- saying that uh, the majority of his supporters are racist, but that's the narrative all of a sudden became like, oh my God, where did all these racist people come from? It's like, they were here the whole time. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that you just put them on mute, they will become silent voters that don't take your polls, yeah. but then confuse you on election day because your poll didn't represent them. But if you accept that they are there, instead of going make them go away, you can go, well, how do I make sure that everyone that's six and under doesn't become hateful towards black people or white people or gay people or straight people, right? If you like, ex- if you accept that they are there, in big numbers, and then you go, well, why Why do they feel the hate that they feel no matter where it's pointed? You have a chance to decrease hate in the world. And the way you do that is by listening and understanding and seeking out opinions that are repugnant to mm-hmm. you. And figuring out when it happened, at what yeah. age, when did you start to feel mm-hmm. this way? Yes. Uh, but to the extent you just put them on mute and they're shouting at you but don't make noise, you've done nothing to diminish hate in the world. Yeah, yeah. And so this is why... Um, We'd, we'd visited Austin, we may move, but one of the things that I liked the most about it, which was aggravating in the moment, was you get in the same day such wildly different worldviews. Our Uber driver and the, and the concierge at the hotel <laughs> could not have been further apart. Mm-hmm. The concierge literally asked us if we were going to vote and then was mortified when I said that I wasn't and clearly needed me to vote for Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And then our Uber driver was... Uh, just the most Texas Republican Second Amendment. Wants to be a police officer, yeah. wants to shoot someone and then return to his son. It was like, his yeah, words, the, not mine. His words, yeah. I want to um, be able to shoot someone and then go back to my son. And not get questioned about if it was like, the yeah, right just, decision. And these yeah. two people, they were five minutes apart from each other. Yes. And it's very different than I think most parts of the country. Were. Which is cool though. Be, not because I liked either uh, of them. Agreeing <laughs> with either of their worldview, neither neither the, the flippantness of the Republican or the panic of the Democrat, uh, but it was so useful to, to like see and, mm-hmm. and try to, and uh, to understand. So, um, it was great. I was like, this is kind of a cool thing about here is that you will get a much better understanding of a broader swath of Americans than sure. I do in my, in my little bubble in Santa Monica. Um, but anyway, that's all that I have. I don't want to go too long. So we, we had originally shot this interview. It's a long interview. We're not going to get it out tomorrow. We did the shorter cast. But yeah, we'll it, was so, it was so long that it's not fair to Justin to yeah. ask him to get it out tomorrow. Yes. So we did this so we can get something out on October 9th. And we'll release the Rolo conversation at a later date. We'll figure it out exactly. But anyways, thank you guys. Uh, questions are coming, patrons included. If you want to join our Patreon, you can do so here, 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 anywhere. And The uh, money all goes straight to Justin, <laughs> our amazing producer. Charlie and I do not receive it. And if you want to do our Charity Water campaign, charitywater.org slash charisma. We're going to be doing another video CTA and a clean version of the OnlyFans video <laughs> soon if you're if you're someone who doesn't want to watch it. It, it honestly is a lot. So and I understand people, that. People have been, first of all, if anyone's still listening, I love you. Second, 
people have been asking, Charlie, what's going on 2020 election? Do you have a prediction? Oh. This video comes out. This podcast comes out Friday. The following Monday, the Monday after this, a video comes out with Charlie's thoughts, I'll say. Thoughts. Charlie's thoughts on Trump and Biden. And I know that's a very hotly requested video. So that'll come out on Monday. Charisma breakdown. All right. That's it. Take care, everybody. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.